right, good morning everybody. Glad to have you with me today on this beautiful Sunday morning here in Houston, Texas. And wherever you're watching, I hope you're having a good morning and you've had a good week and you're ready to get into the Word, into Scripture a little bit. And we're going to unwind some things today that I think you're going to find really interesting. And I hope we'll move you down the road just another step or two toward becoming the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. That's our goal here at the Digital Cathedral, to bring the sons and daughters into maturity, into full manifestation that we walk in the earth even as Jesus walks today. I want to begin over in John chapter 10 verse 30 with a statement that Jesus made that eventually got him, got him crucified. And he's the first one to ever make this kind of statement, but it's it's a statement of truth for all of us, and I hope that it's something that we can begin to confess about ourselves. In John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus said, I and my Father are one. Now that in itself is something that nobody had ever claimed up to that point in Scripture. Abraham never claimed that. David never claimed it. Uh, Jeremiah, Isaiah, none of the prophets ever claimed that they and the Father are one. In fact, there's very little reference in the Old Covenant to a Father. It's always to God or um, you know, Jehovah, but not in that relationship of, as a father. So right away, Jesus is catching their attention when he makes the claim that he and the father are one. Um, and then he goes on in verse 36. He said, do you say of him whom the father sanctified and sent into the world? Do you say to him, you're blaspheming? Because I said, now here's the statement. They eventually got him killed. I am the son of God. That is a huge I am. And that, you know, that's an I am that I think that we should be able to begin to make today without feeling awkward or strange. I know it's not a, it's not a claim that you hear in church often. Yeah, we say we're, we're children of God, we're sons and daughters of God. But to bring it into this dimension that Jesus does in verse 30 where he says the Father and I are one. That's an intimacy, that's a closeness, that's, that's a no separation view that you have so that when he says in that 36th verse that I am the son of God he's saying something that had never been declared before and the thing about Jesus is this not only did he claim it he demonstrated it we read over in John chapter 19 I love the book of John because it's so intimate in how it reveals Jesus as the son of God and the, the oneness the unity that not only he enjoys, but then John brings it into the dimension of, of our life today. John chapter, Jesus not only said he's the son of God, he demonstrated he's the son of God. And he makes several very bold statements. And not only does he make the statements, but he backs them up. For example, in John chapter 19 and verse 10, when Jesus comes on trial, he says this. Chapter 19, verse 10. Pilate said to Jesus, are you speaking to me? He said, don't you know that I have the power, watch, to crucify you and the power to release you? He was intimidating Jesus. He was saying, Jesus, you better understand who I am. I am the government. I have authority over you. Are you listening to me with spiritual ears? I'm the government. I, I can determine whether you go, whether you come, whether you live, whether you die. And Jesus said this in verse 11. You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Jesus is saying there's only one power. 
And that's the power that my father has. And you really have no jurisdiction over to me, over me except what the father has delegated to you to have over me in order that his plan and will might be accomplished. Therefore, the conclusion, Jesus says, therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. So you, you're sinning by saying you have power over me, but the one that delivered me, he's also walking in some missing the mark here. So I just love the way that Jesus lays it out. He makes bold statements. He, he makes a statement to Pilate, who undoubtedly has the most temporal power on the planet of that day. And Jesus says quite, quite boldly, you don't have any authority over me except it was given to you by God. Jesus makes other bold statements. He says to the storm, peace be still. And it obeyed and it was still. Jesus said to the, to the palsied man, take up your bed and walk. And the man took up his bed and walked. Here's what I'm trying to get at. Jesus not only said he was the son of God, he demonstrated that he was the son of God. He told Lazarus after he'd been dead three days and his sister said, man, he's, he's got a bad aroma in that tomb right now. Jesus said to this man, been dead three days. He said, come out of that grave, come alive. Resurrection power hits you. Unwind yourself from those grave, grave clothes and walk free. Those are the declarations, those are the proclamations of a man who not only says he's the Son of God, but demonstrates he's the Son of God. Not only what Jesus taught, but what he demonstrated evidence that he was coming from an entirely different kingdom. Now, I want to say something right here. The great disclosure of Jesus was for mankind to know what they were to look like and live like if they identified with their divinity, even as Jesus did. So Jesus came for a lot of different reasons. Yes, he came to die on the cross. Yes, he came to set us free from death and from sin and from everything that you think Adam did, Jesus undid. But he also, in living out his life, he demonstrated what a what we would call a human being. But we're not just a human being. I know we've been told that. We're more than that. And Jesus came to say, here's the prototype man. He's saying, if you've, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And I want you to get a good glimpse of me, Jesus is saying, because this is the way that I want you to live the same way that I live. And it's obvious from the life of Jesus that he wasn't hemmed in by this visible world. He was living out of a kingdom within. And here at the Digital Cathedral, we spend a lot of time talking about the kingdom that is within us about the God who lives in us. He's not, a, he's not a sky God out somewhere that we're trying to call and bring uh, into our life today. He's already within us. You are the temple of the living God and he dwells within you. So Jesus makes this, this huge claim that nobody had ever claimed, that he was the son of God. Then he demonstrated that he's the son of God. Then he discloses that, look, the way that I lived is the way that you're to live as a follower of me, which is from another kingdom, another dimension, you're to draw on the invisible and make it visible. He does all of that, and then one day he turns around and tells his disciples that they would function from the kingdom of power within them as they learned who they are. They had no clue at that point. I don't think they had any idea really what nature they, they, they obtained. They, they thought they were children of Abraham. They were living under an old covenant. And here's what's, here's what's going on today. There's so much going on today. I love to talk. I love to see what Jesus did and bring it over into our life. We're coming to a place that we know that we know that we know who we are. We're all, we're all different places and stages of development on that. Some of us, it's just beginning to dawn on us. Some of us, it's just a concept yet. 
It's just, wow, a shocking idea that we could be like Jesus, that Jesus came as the prototype man, fully God, fully man, and said, here's how you can live in this world. Paul got it. Paul understood it. John understood it. Peter even understood that Jesus was coming to give us a reflection of a lifestyle that we're to live. <clears throat> Let me hit you with a couple of verses that we talk about quite often here at the Digital Cathedral because Paul got it. Paul said this in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. He looks at Jesus and he says, In this one man Jesus, in this physical man Jesus, dwells the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. Man, that's a package. That's something that, that puts you almost on tilt. In this man Jesus, Paul said, dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And then he stretches it out. He embraces us and brings us into that same dimension in verse 10. And he says, And you are complete in him. So Paul recognized that we are something more than just mortal human beings. That there was an example, there was a prototype. It's Jesus, and in Jesus dwelt this fullness of the Godhead. Everything that God is, the full entire essence of God, the complete glory of God, which is all that he is. And he says in that next verse, and he brings us in, and this is what's, what's staggering. And this is what we're opening to. We are complete in this one. Everything we talk about is because we're in Christ. I'm not I never talk about separateness from the Christ. It's because Christ dwells in us, who we are. That's who, it's not who we are because of, of Don Keithley or who I am naturally. It's because of the Christ that dwells in me. Then John got it in 1 John 4, 17. He said, in, here in his love made perfect. Here's how your love matures, made perfect so that you might have boldness in the day of judgment. Jesus certainly had boldness in the day that he was judged. And then the day that you and I may come before natural judgment before people, we should have boldness, and here's why we do. And he says this. Now, this is where he brings you into the same dimension. 1 John 4, 17. Because as he is, so are you in this present world. And I notice that is, as Jesus is, is present tense. It's not futuristic. It's not looking back at Jesus. And man, you want to meditate on some things. Meditate on how Jesus is today, what his ministry is, how, how he lives, what his function is, the dominion, the power that he has in the kingdom. And John is bringing us into that and saying, you are the same way. Peter got it. In, uh, what is it, 2 Peter 1.4, Peter said, great precious promises have been given to us. The word that God brings to you is a great promise. It's a precious promise. And he said, it's by what he speaks to you that you are, listen, he brings you into it, that you're a partaker of the divine nature. They all put man into a place that even today religion, I mean, religion, it just has declared it off limits. You don't, you're not going to go to any church that's going to put you in the God class of being. You're not going to go to any church that's going to really stress. I, I went to church for years. I never, I never heard Colossians 2, 9, 10, never heard uh, 1 John 4, 17, never heard any exposition on 2 Peter 1, 4. All of those point to a nature that we have that is beyond human. That's what Jesus came to, to, to awaken us to, to have us discover that we are not just people. We're not just humanoids. We are the, in a God class of being. Religion has stayed away from it because it doesn't fit, it doesn't fit the program. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't fit how they want man to look 
to himself. But all three of those shared with us that we have a nature of deity. Then Jesus cleared it all up in John chapter 10, verse 34, in speaking to those before the cross that obviously hadn't prayed the magic prayer, had not received Jesus into the life. He looks at them and says, doesn't, doesn't your own scripture say that you are God's? See, God set it in motion from the get-go. This is what God had in his mind from the very beginning. And I, I want to read you something from, from Genesis chapter 1, when, when God created man. And then we're going to talk about that for just a minute. Because I think there's something here that we, we have radically, drastically missed in, in, um, in, in the teaching that has come out from the church. I'm trying to just get to John 1, which is the very first page here or Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and verse 27. God said this when he made us. Here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that from the very beginning, you were, you were made in a God class of being. You were not just, just uh, flesh uh, that, that covered over a body, soul, and spirit. He said in the very beginning, let us make man in our image. That immediately puts us in a God, God class of being, in our image, image of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish and over the birds, over the air and over the cattle, over all the creeping things that creep on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. Now we're gonna come back to that in just a couple of minutes because there's some things there that I think that that we we need to see but let me just drop the seed right here that those two verses tell us that we are the god stuff that when god in chapter 2 verse 7 breathed into us the breath of life he breathed into us the very essence of who he is the totality of the father the son and the holy spirit they included us and brought us into that circle they brought us into that relationship so here's what's going on today Here's what's going on today, and I'm preaching a bold message. I, I teach stuff that you're not going to hear every place. I understand that. You can hear it in some quarters, some circles. It's being taught. It's being taught more than it ever has. But here's, what this, here's what's going on today. The spirit of truth is moving us past where we're just looking for good teaching. Let me say that again. The spirit of truth is moving us past where we're just looking for good teaching, more knowledge. We have done that for years, and I have, I have been one that has just soaked up teaching. I have soaked up everything I can get my hands on. I've wanted to learn more, wanted to learn more. But the Spirit is, is moving us now past that. He's saying, wait a minute, you're overloaded on knowledge, actually. You've got more revelation than you can deal with. You've got more revelation than you're walking out. So what the Spirit of Truth is doing today, He's bringing us into, listen, He's bringing us into a place where we now are going to experience what we know. And this, that's a quantum leap. He's bringing us into a place where we're going to begin to experience and embrace our divinity. We've heard teaching on divinity. We've heard uh, teaching on manifesting as sons of God. We've heard uh, teaching on the restoration of all things. Everything we hit on here at the Digital Cathedral, we have, we've learned a lot. And now there's a hunger within us not to just learn, not just to hear good teaching. I get messages almost continuing now from people that say, I want to walk this out. I want to experience this. I want this to become my lifestyle, to demonstrate before the world who we are and to be able to reflect as Jesus reflected the Father. I also want to begin to reflect him. 
Jesus totally reflected the Father in his attitude, his heart, his love for mankind. And so he's positioning us now. He's talked to us a lot about love. He's talked a lot to us about power and strength and authority. And now he's positioning us where we have influence to begin to show ourselves as to who we actually are experientially. You can look around you. The Father's opened the floodgate, all kinds of things. He's opened the, the floodgate of spirituality. There's no doubt we have more revelation than any generation that's walked the planet. He's also opening the fields of science. He's opening wisdom from different directions. And he's, he's bringing this, this all into one place. Maybe that's why we've emphasized over the last few months and the last couple of years that there's only one source. There's only one power. There's not two. There's not multiples. Everything comes from the one source. There's only one revealer of truth. There's only one source of truth. All truth. In Romans 11.36, it says that everything comes from God, passes through God, and returns to God. Now that takes it out of a, out of a linear dimension. As we come into reflecting the Father and, and, and living in the kingdom, we're coming out of this linear dimension of where there's a beginning and an end, a start and a finish. And he's bringing us into from Father, through Father, back to Father. We're leaving a, a linear world and we're moving into a consciousness that has no beginning and no end to it. That's why I think science is fascinating right now. Why the quantum world, the matrix, we're, we're, we're beginning to see that there's no beginning and there's no end. We're beginning to see we're into a dimension now and it's coming from several different ways, several different places. We're starting to see we really are living in a place where all things are possible, whether it's the kingdom, whether you want to call it the quantum field, whether you want to call it the matrix. It's a dimension that has moved us beyond just a beginning and an end. Life does not begin and life does, doesn't end. There's no, there's no beginning and no end to it. And he has, he has set you in a place where you are the co-creator, where you are the co-labor with deity to cover the earth with the glory of the Father, the presence and the knowledge of God. In fact, Habakkuk, what is it? Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. I won't take time to look it up. <clears throat> but it basically says, that the knowledge of God is going to cover the earth. The glory of God. He says the glory of God is going to cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk 2.14, I believe it is. The glory of God is the sum total of his essence. For us to be able to, to demonstrate the sum total of his essence and cover the earth with it, it has to be revealed to us and then lived through us and out of us into the world in which we live. So this generation, the generation that you and I are part of, are on the cutting edge of this. Wisdom is coming from quantum. Wisdom is coming from learning about the matrix. It's coming from, from all different dimensions. And it's helping us to see that there's only one source of all of it. And out of all of creation, here's the thrust. <clears throat> out of all creation, God has given to man the dominion over everything that is on the earth. Now, I said there's something in, in uh, Genesis 126 I want to point out. I, I bet many of you have never seen this before because you've not heard it taught like this. But let me come back to Genesis 126. Let me just show you what he's done. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the, over the sea. Let them have dominion over the sea. 
let them have dominion over the sea. Does it say there's not one version of scripture that I could find? I went through Bible Hub and it has, I don't know how many versions of scripture. There is none that says, let them take dominion. Now, the way we've heard that verse and the way many have interpreted that verse is that we are to take dominion. No, the scripture doesn't say that we are to take dominion. It says that we have dominion and there's a world of difference. And I'm drawing a distinction for you this morning because I want you to get it. <clears throat> there's a difference between having dominion and taking dominion. If we have it, and he said, let them have dominion. If we have it, that means we're fully in possession of it right now. We don't have to do something. If you're going to take dominion, then you have to try to do something. If you're going to take dominion, then we must do something to have the dominion. But in fact, he already said you have dominion. Let them have dominion. Now, this is extremely important because this is where all of the spiritual warfare baloney has come from in trying to take dominion. We've tried to take back what is ours. If you're teaching like that, like we're in a warfare against principalities and powers and dominions because they have stolen from us our dominion. There's no place where the Bible says any, anything has ever stolen our dominion. God said, let them have dominion, and he never took it in any other different way. But because we have said we have to take dominion, and that's the way that verse has been taught. I when, I when I saw that he said have dominion, my, my mind was blown because I do I... I'd always taught and had this mental idea that we have to take it. That somehow Adam gave it over. Now we got to take it back. No, God said, let them have. And he never rescinded that. So I'm not trying to take something. I'm awakening to what I have. This makes me approach everything in life, makes me approach the kingdom, makes me approach the sayings of Jesus entirely different. We have spent all of our religious lives hearing sermon after sermon about taking dominion. There is no dominion to take. If you do that, and this is what's been so frustrating. If you're trying to do that, you're trying to achieve what you already have. And there's a reason we have tried to get people to strive for what they have. It's because we didn't understand that we had that it had been given to us. And because we know we are in this God class of being now and we have the dominion because we're in a God class of being that we're already in possession of it. See, because we haven't understood that, we've been talked out of our inheritance. The earth is our inheritance. The heavens, Psalm says, the heavens God kept for himself, but the earth he's given to the sons of man. All right, listen to me very carefully. We're never going to enter our promised land. We're never, we're never going to walk in the fullness that, he, that the Father has imparted to us until, until we leave Egypt, until we leave the bondage of trying to attain something that we already possess. And even more importantly than that, the hard part is not leaving Egypt. The hard part is getting the Egypt out of us because <clears throat> we have these mindsets that have been so heavily ingrained into us that we're striving and working and trying to attain and trying to take he gifted us. He didn't gift any other entity, no power. He didn't give authority to, to poison or infection. He didn't give power to any, any other dominion or, or principality. We have, as co-creators, been given the dominion over all that exists upon the earth. 
And I probably should read those, those two scriptures from Psalm that are extremely important. And you probably ought to underline these in your Bible. There, these are a couple of verses that you probably ought to put. I used to have a little piece of paper in my Bible and I had all the, the verses for ultimate reconciliation, all the things I needed to remember all the time. So when somebody would ask me, I, I was, had a quick reference. I've removed it, but there might be some other verses I want to add. And here's two verses about us having dominion over the earth. Psalm 115, verse 16. Psalm 115, verse 16 says this, The heavens, even the heavens are the Lord's. But the earth he has given to the children of men. We're not trying to take it. We're not trying to get it back. He's given it to us. We have, we have, we've not accepted that responsibility. There are some green earthers. That has nothing to do with, with the earth that he's been given to us. Look, this, this earth is not going to run out of resources. It's not going to run out of oxygen. It's not going to run out of water. When God gave us the earth, he gave us everything that we would ever need, regardless of how many billions of people live here, to make it a successful habitation, to make it heaven on earth. That's what we're doing. We're, we're bringing the two dimensions into one. He kept the heavens, gave us the earth, so that as the manifested sons and daughters, we could be as Jesus and live out of that kingdom, out of that dimension, and begin to bring into visible that which is invisible, that this earth would be even as it is in heaven. Then Psalm chapter 8. Let me read one more here. Psalm chapter 8. And I think it's, let me read verses 4 to 8, because these are really some good, good verses here. Psalm chapter 8. Let me get over there real quick. Psalm chapter 8. Let me pick it up with verse 4. He says, What is man that you're mindful of him, and the son of man that you have visited him? For you made him a little lower than the angels. The, actually, the word angel there is the word Elohim. He's saying that he made us a little lower than Elohim. That's the many-breasted one. That's, that's God, the one who is the source. And you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Now, I, can, I could probably make the argument that he's talking about Jesus here. He's, but he's talking about the body of Christ. He's talking about you and he's talking about me because of our association and our oneness with him. Verse 7, all sheep, all oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have made him to have dominion over all the works of your hand. So this is the position that God has placed us in. And we don't have to take that, y'all. We don't have to try to strive to reach out there and pull it away from some kind of principality or, or devil that has no power, but we've empowered those that live a life of spirit, the dimension we've come into, and what I mean by that, people that see the invisibles, people that see with from eyes that are internal. Uh, you know, these lion eyes, everything is not as it appears. And even the things that appear next week, they're different. You look at the stock market today, next week it's different. One week it's up, one week it's down. You look at the weather, one, one time it's drought, one week it's a flood. Those things are all subject to change. You and I are, are learning to come into this place where we live out of spirit. We see the invisible. And that seeing the invisible brings us into full recognition that we are walking as deity. And when you walk as deity, hear me closely. When you walk as deity, you no longer have this victim mentality. That has got to be put out of the body of Christ, this victim mentality. 
where circumstances run us, where conditions rule over us, where people, where people have the final say. We need to take the attitude that Jesus had when he looked at Pilate and said, man, you think you can kill me. You think you have the power to give me life. And let me just tell you something, society, you have no power over me except what the Father has given to you. You know what the Father says to you? He said, son, he says, daughter, you've always been with me. And everything that I have is yours. That's what, that was the secret to the life of Jesus. So gradually, you and I are coming into this by revelation from, like I said, from all different sources. Some of you really like to study quantum. Some of you like to study science. Some of you are, are ponders and meditators. You get revelation. It all flows from one source, you guys. It all, it all comes from one place. So gradually by meditation and pondering and revelation, we're receiving and we're seeing in our consciousness that we've always had access, that we've always had dominion, that we've always been saturated, we've always been drenched with the truth. From the very beginning when God said, let us make man in our image and let them have dominion, he has, he's already granted it to us, he's already imparted it to us. And as we wake up to our divinity, and we can say without feeling weird, without feeling strange, I am a son of God. I am fully a son of God. If Jesus showed us nothing else, he, he revealed that to us, that that's our position. Yeah, we, we, we manifest by servanthood. I've, I've taught on that for a couple of weeks. We manifest as servant. We didn't come to be ministered to. We came to minister like Jesus. We didn't come to be served. We came to serve. But that doesn't, that doesn't diminish my position as a son. So this internal unfolding releases the invisible law that is working in us. And as this stuff works in us, listen carefully, as this stuff works internally within you, it begins to work externally out of you. And it has an effect on circumstance, has an effect on people, has an effect on our culture. Here's the problem. And this is what we're working out of. <clears throat> this is why I feel like my mission here at the Digital Cathedral is so important and why it stretches around the world and why most of you have come out of religion because you have been so hypnotized into a wrong identity. And this is, this is my call here at the Digital Cathedral is to give the right identity. We've been told, here's what we thought our identity was. We, we've had it drilled into us and not, even now it seems a little bit weird and strange to most of us to say, I am a son of God with the conviction that Jesus said it. And that, Herod, you have no power over me. World, you have no power over me. Circumstances, situations, you have no power over me, except what the Father has given to you. Our identity up to this point has just been we're just mere human beings. We're miserable sinners. We're faulty at best. We're flawed. We're full of sin. And that wrong identity has in our mind disconnected us. And so at the Digital Cathedral, I'm trying to make that connection again. I'm trying to connect you back to the source. I'm trying to connect you back to right identity. But that, that, whole, that whole teaching that is so ingrained within us that, that we think that's just how it is, has disconnected us from the realm of all things are possible. And it's connected us to a world of limitation. All of, its, all of its needs and wants and shortcomings and failures, we've been connected to that, and we think that's just the way we are to live. No, that's not the way we are to live. That's not what God designed. That's not what God purposed. Jesus came again. Let me say it again. I'm going to keep reiterating this. 
Jesus came to fully point out, to fully demonstrate how a man, how a woman that embraces their divinity, that embraces their identity as divinity. Here's how you should live. Nature should be under our authority. We're working toward it. It's not something, it's not three steps you can do to make the wind and the waves obey. It is a work within us that is a work of spirit until one day it just happens. It bursts on the scenes. We're closer to it than we've ever been before. It's a, it's, a, it's a renewing of the mind. It's a transition. It's a change. It's a shift. And it, it may not be fully accomplished in our lifetime. I don't know. But this is where our obligation to our children and our grandchildren come to push the ball down the field as far as we can take it and imparting to them. Man, our grandchildren should have no identity as a poor old, edemic, sin-filled rascal that doesn't deserve anything. Our grandchildren's identity should be fully demonstrating what Jesus demonstrated. And you know what Jesus demonstrated? He said, Father, the Father's always with me. He said that I have full access to everything the Father has. Can you, can you imagine how that changes a person's life when that work of the Spirit is deep enough and strong enough and ingrained enough that we actually embrace it? that we actually step over the line and it becomes ours. Jesus accessed it. You know, he accessed it with five loaves and a two fish. Not only did he say it, he accessed it. He accessed it when he walked on the water, went out to the boat on the disciples. He accessed that dimension when he called Lazarus out of the grave. He accessed it. Here's, what, here's the mindset of Jesus. Here is the mindset of Jesus. Let me give you just a couple of scriptures on how, how Jesus saw it. In John chapter 30. And these are things you can all meditate, you can ponder on, and let this become your mindset as well. John chapter 5, verse 30, Jesus said this, I of my own self can do nothing. That, that, I of my own self can do nothing. Jesus knew who he was. He knew the one that lived in him. He knew the dimension. He knew the kingdom that he walked in. Didn't make him lesser, it made him greater. He said, I can of my own self do nothing as I hear I judge and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. So it was the will of the Father. That's the food to eat that they didn't know anything about. He just kept his ear open and he said, when I see the Father do something, I do it. When I hear the Father say something, I say it. He said, I can't do this stuff myself. Of my own self, I can do nothing. That, that's not a put down. That's not a lessening of yourself. It's a recognition that you are not separate from the Father. See, I hope you never pick up anything at the digital cathedral that would make you think that I'm teaching that you are something apart from Him or you're something apart from the Christ that is within you. No, 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 no. My message is unity. My message is oneness. My message is no separation. My message is you don't have to try to do something apart from Him because you were never apart from Him and you never will be apart from Him. So we need to recognize that. And Jesus did. Now a little bit further in John chapter 14, this is why I love this book of John. John chapter 14 and verse 10. He says, do you not believe that I and the Father are one? He said, the words that I speak to you, I don't speak on my own authority. He said, but the Father who dwells in me, this is, this is such a powerful statement. 
The Father who dwells in me, he does the works. Now, if I looked at the life of Jesus, I would think Jesus is doing the works. And I would think that somehow I've got to generate my faith and my ability and my, my believing up to this level where I could do what Jesus did. Jesus didn't do anything. Did you just hear what he said? He said, it's the Father that is in me. He does the works. Do you remember what John 5 said? Jesus said, I can of my own self do nothing. What I hear, I speak. What I see, I do. It's the Father in me. He does the works. Jesus, the God-man, the one in whom the fullness of the God had dwelt bodily and in whom you're complete. This one Jesus that is walking today in full authority and dominion, as he is, so are you in this world. This Jesus that enlightened us and has opened up truth and revelation and given us many promises that by those promises now you're a partaker of the divine nature. Jesus, this God-man, embraced his divinity. He embraced the invisible. He embraced the dominance of the kingdom within. He embraced the idea and the truth that what you see is subject to what you don't see. He was not limited by the wind and the waves. He knew that there was something within him that was working that was stronger. And when that time came, when he was 30 years old, he didn't demonstrate it at 18, 20, 25, 28. When the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son. <clears throat> and when that son was mature, at his baptism, that's my son in whom I'm well pleased. That was his release. He then turns around and Jesus himself turns around and says something that blows our non-embracing divinity mind. In John chapter 14, Jesus says something to these disciples. And if this, this didn't set vision within them, if this didn't challenge them, if this didn't spark a fire, their wood was wet. He says in John chapter 14 and verse 12, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes on me, the works that I do, he do and greater works than he, I do because I go to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, Jesus said two things. He said, the works that I'm going to do, you're going to do in greater works than these. <clears throat> Man, that's good stuff. Just, just the stuff Jesus did is good. Here's the problem. When you, when you do just what Jesus did, there's something beyond that. Let me, let me explain what I mean. Every person that Jesus healed eventually became sick and died. Lazarus died. He, yeah, he resurrected, but he died. Every, the, the palsied man that took up his bed and walked, there was a point that he left the earth. He died. There's that, but doing the work of Jesus sometimes, we have to see that before we understand the greater work. Here's what the greater work is. The greater work is walking other people into the kingdom and helping them to espouse their identity as divinity. Jesus didn't do that. The greater work is teaching there's no separation. Jesus never, he didn't accomplish that. Jesus is trying to see, help us see the greater work, not two powers, there's one power. The, the greater work, the greater work is the defeat of the last enemy, which is death. Paul said the last enemy to be put underfoot is death. Every person that Jesus ministered to died. There's coming a time that there will be a people that do not die. Now, I understand Jesus said, he that lives and believes in me will never die. We make a transition. But there is a power on earth called immortality. 
And next year we're going to talk about this some because it's, it's mind-blowing. It'll put you on tilt, but it's scriptural. It is absolutely scriptural. And so today we're seeing science is bringing this possibility in quantum, quantum physics. Quantum physics is joining with the spirit of revelation. I'm not, I'm not opposed to science. I'm not against science. Science is not against spirituality. Science can help move us in understanding to the realm that Jesus was teaching us about that we will come into, which is a greater work than even he did. Here's where we need to go right now. All right? I'm, t- I'm talking to you some things that are going to be coming. All right? But now here's where we're at now. The further we move into our divinity, the more we see our identity as divinity. And not, a- Adam is not our identity. Sin is not our identity. The more our trust and reliance will automatically become in the Father. The more we will automatically see our oneness with Him. So that when you make a mistake, you don't feel guilty. Right? No condemnation of those that are in Christ. You mess up, you foul up, you just pick yourself up and you go, you keep right on going. We're going to become less and less. As we embrace our identity as divinity, we're going to become less and less dependent on people, on circumstances, on visible positions, on the way things appear. It's, it's, going, to, it's going to continually diminish until we have no trust in what we see whatsoever or what people can deliver. How many times have people disappointed you? You set up an expectation for somebody and they fell short and you're disappointed. And sometimes it's disillusioned and discouraged us and frustrated to the point that we just walk away from everything. We'll live in a time when we won't fear what the future might bring. That fear will diminish. It will disappear. And, 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 Jesus will become total supply, right? In any, any time you, dare I say this, any time you look outside of yourself for supply, you've just gone to the wrong tree. There is no supply. Everything you need is within you. Everything you need is within the kingdom within you. Whenever you begin to look, it's the stock market. Look, and I, I have, a, I, you know, I have stocks. I have investments. I have a little retirement laid up. Okay, but that's not my source. That can be a channel, but it's not our source. If that thing disappeared, does that mean God's forgotten me and God's going to forsake me? Absolutely not. The more the kingdom will arise within us, and move to the forefront of our consciousness, the more that we understand that our identity is divinity and we are possessed fully with a divine nature that as Jesus had, so are we. Now, Jesus was so far out front on this. The things that he taught mostly just went over people's head. Now we're starting to see it, not because we've done something, but because the spirit of truth, spirit of revelation is moving. And now we're starting to understand something. I'm going to read you nine verses of scripture and then we're going to, we'll start closing. But I want you to see now, now we're beginning to get a hold of what Jesus was telling them at the very beginning on the Sermon on the Mount, that as we embrace our identity as divinity, things begin to shift. Things things begin to change. You begin to see different in life in a different perspective. Let let me just read this for you. No one can serve two masters. Let, Let me just pick this up. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, either he will hate the one and love the other or he'll hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve two sources. You have to make up your mind which you're going to serve. Therefore, or because of that, when you choose to serve God and you understand he's your source, 
People are no longer your source. Circumstances are not your source. Situations no longer feed you. Therefore, he concludes, I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you'll drink, what you'll put on your body. If you're, isn't your life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns. They, they don't get into the sowing and reaping business. He said, aren't you more valuable than they are? Which of you by worrying, which of you by fear, can add one cubit to your stature? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. And he goes on and on and on and talks about this. Then he says in verse 31, therefore, don't worry. Don't worry. <clears throat> Wor worry is negative meditation. So you will meditate on one thing, either faith or, or worry, fear. What we eat or what we're going to drink. What shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek. You ain't no Gentile. You're a son of God. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. So you don't even have to, you don't have to get down on your knees and beg and plead and bawl and squall and have a night vigil and call the prayer chain. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Do you think by your much praying, do you think by calling 78 other people to pray for you, that it's going to change the mind of the Father? Do you think He sits in heaven with His hands folded saying, if they just had 20 people more, I'd have done it. That's how we've lived because we haven't understood who we are. The effectual fervent prayer of one righteous man avails much. And you're a righteous man. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Everything from verse 25 down to verse 33 will be added. Our job is to come into this kingdom that is within. Seek it. Make that the priority. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So one day as we meditate this, one day as you just ponder, those are great verses to ponder, you guys. You wonder, you wonder when you shut it down what you should think about. Think about Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Just get it out, read it, close your eyes, and let your, let your, let your mind dwell on it. One day as we meditate, it's going to break through the reality. You know what the reality is going to come? It's going to, you're, going to have, you're going to have one of those face palm moments. You're going to say, man, I truly am as he is in this present world. You're going to go, I, I see it. All he is, I am. All his I amness has resulted in my I amness. Wow, I got it. All that's available to him is available to me. Wow, the kingdom he drew from is actually within me and I can draw from it. The same power, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come on you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. One day it's going to strike you, man, that power lives in me. And if that power lives in me, I've got I've to I've turn it loose. We're, we're going to say, like he said it, I've overcome the world. I've overcome the flesh. I've overcome the devil. See, we're, we're, we're talking this morning about a great mystery that is coming to light. It's, we're starting to see, we're looking in that glass. It's still dimly, it's still dim, but it's starting to take shape. And, and you too can say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. As heirs of God, fully in his image, fully in his likeness, that he has given dominion to you. You're not taking, trying to take it anymore. You're not trying to attain or achieve it. He said in Acts chapter 1 verse 26, let him have it. 
It's fully been given to them. We embody within the entirety of the kingdom of God, its fullness. We are complete in the one in whom the fullness of the God had dwelt bodily. That's not just a, that's not just a little small portion. That, that's just not, not, not a little corner of it, all that he rips off and says here. He's saying my eternality, my immortality. That's been a mystery up till now. You can embrace it. You can see who you actually are. And when you learn to pray and learn to meditate and fellowship, this stuff just begins to dawn. I'm telling you, I see it. I absolutely see it. In him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and I am today. As Don Keithley, I am absolutely complete in him. He truly revealed and has unveiled to us who we really are. Let's just embrace it. We, we, we may not be fully demonstrating it, but I'm telling you one thing. We can see it. We can grasp it. And we're going to bring it into this, this realm within us. And we're going to contemplate it until what we see within manifests without. Amen? All right. I think that's a, that's a good place to, to stop right there. I want to talk to you a little bit next week about rest. I want to talk to you about uh, the primary purpose that we're released and learning learning how to enter into that place of rest. I think it's an important. We've talked a lot this morning, and let me just say again, I don't want to ever put out the vibe that I'm telling you that you have to strive to attain something. What I'm telling you, and, and, and I've given my life to this, is to try to get us to see what we already possess, that we already, already have dominion. See, we saw that from Scripture this morning. Some of you watching the digital cathedral have been trying to take it because that's what you're, take it away from the devil. Everything he stole, you can give it. No, you already have it. He's a thief and a liar. He has possession of nothing except what you've given him. So I hope that as we talk about rest, this is a position that we want to enter into. And this is the labor. This is the hardest labor as Christians that have been raised in the church. This is the hardest function we have to do. This is our hardest labor is learn how to rest. Let's talk about that next week at the Digital Cathedral. Thank you for being with me today. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Thank you for your prayers and your support. It means a lot to me. When I see a contribution come over PayPal, it tells me that you got skin in the game, that you're willing to run this journey with me, and you're saying, I'm, I'm partnering with you, and let's take this message around the world. It's all possible because of you. Thank you for being with me. God bless you. See you Wednesday night at The Secret Place, 7 o'clock on the Don Keithley Ministry page. Make sure you hit like and subscribe so that you're notified whenever we come on with a brand new teaching. God bless. See you next week.